Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Unlimited. Today, we are talking about the pressure to love your job. Now, this is likely something that you've experienced, this pressure. Whether you love your job or not, it's part of one of the stories that we get a lot. Some of the common quotes that you may have heard related to it are, Choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life is probably the most well-known. The quote attributed to Confucius. However, when I looked it up in the quote investigator, there's some very interesting information that I think is fairly reflective of a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this episode in terms of where it actually generated, when it actually generated, and what Confucius might have actually been saying that it was then tied to him. I will put a link in the show notes so that those of you who are interested and like to nerd out about this sort of stuff like I do can go take a look at it. Some other popular quotes are, If you love your work, if you enjoy it, you're already a success by Jack Canfield. And one that really highlights some of the stuff we're going to be digging into is a quote by Steve Jobs, which is in part, the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. This one in particular, while it may not be one that you've heard, has a lot of ties in with the general sense of what we're talking about. There's this feeling that if you don't love your job, you are settling. You are not allowing yourself the fullness of life's experience and that you should just know what you're going to love. It plays in with those stories that we often get of like, what do you do? What do you want to be when you grow up? All of these things that emphasize work as the defining factor of our lives. And then... Of course, that the only way to do great work is to love what you do, as though not only are you settling if you don't love what you do, but if you don't love what you do, you are invariably not doing good enough work to be truly successful. This plays into that idea of why we call it quiet quitting when people are setting boundaries to their work is if you love your job, you won't need to set boundaries because it's not really work. You just want to do it. So if you're setting boundaries, then you must not love your job. That equivalency of saying those two things are mutually exclusively, you can't love your job and set boundaries is a huge problem. And it's one of the reasons why we're talking about this and this feeling of pressure, because ultimately what this is doing is it's framing the idea of work and your relationship to work in a way that intentionally obscures the reality of work. You can love your job and it's still work. You can do work that you don't love and still do a good job at it. So what is the purpose of this story? What are we fueling with this story? Part of it is that we're feeding into the narrative that hard work will always lead to success. That is a standard narrative that obscures the fact that a lot of people work very hard and don't experience financial success. And it obscures the fact that work is still work. It still takes energy no matter how much you love it. 
Ultimately, the story is designed to keep you from setting boundaries and instead buy into your own exploitation, which has other tendrils into other things, which we are going to dig into in this episode. To engage this topic, I have invited Kristen Downs to join me. Fierce, funny, and fired up, Kristen Downs is a possibilitarian. Also, an executive coach, a theatrical thinker, a producer, and a lot of formers. Stage manager, production manager, operations manager, general manager, director, continuing adult corporate education professional, a multi-career pivoter who has worked more than 40 plus jobs and led more teams in two decades than most people will in their entire lives. Kristen is the founder of Your Notable Life, where she helps compassionate leaders get a seat at the table or build their own. A tireless advocate for work separated from our inherent worth and identity, Kristen specializes in voice, values, vision, and visibility. She believes that we are each notable just as we are, and we get free together. Some of what we're going to talk about in this episode includes, but is not limited to, the burnout cycle that keeps you stuck, why we're pressured to love our job, expectations when applying for a job, leadership examples and quiet quitting, freeing your identity from your job, setting boundaries around work, and so much more. I am very excited to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey there, I'm Valerie Friedlander, Certified Life Business Alignment Coach, and this is Unlimited. This podcast bridges the individual and the societal, scientific and spiritual, positive and negative, nerdy and no, there's just a lot of nerdy. (laughs) Come on board and let's unlock a life that's as badass as you are. Welcome, Kristen. I am so excited to have you on Unlimited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are talking about really kind of digging into this quote, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And this idea that like you should always do something that you love. And one of the things that I know you do is work with people who are shifting out of this space of burnout, doing what they love (laughs) or thinking that's what they love, and then just getting exhausted, getting burnt out and doing it and trying to figure out what pivoting, like what does it mean to pivot? What does it look like? So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what got you into this as work. Oh my gosh, there's so much in there, but I'll just sort of start with the fact that I was a theater professional for many years, really thought that eating with more consistency would be cool. And so I thought I would transition into full-time work. Obviously, lots of people make a good living in the theater profession. And I just found that for me, it was either feast. I had too much work. I couldn't see family. I couldn't see friends. I couldn't meet babies or go to weddings or famine. I didn't have enough work. I couldn't afford to go anywhere, even though I had time. I just had to sit in my house in the dark eating cans of beans. That was it, you know? So I worked really hard to get a job, a full-time salaried job, and then discovered that it was not what I thought it was going to be, that they expected me to work when there was no work to do, that I had to pretend to work to fill 40 hours a week. But when there was 110 hours, I still had to work those. And so my relationship to work really 
has always been disillusioned, I think might be the way to say it. I didn't have a wonderful, delightful internship experience turned into full-time job or something like that. I've always been a little bit of uh, outside looking in on that subject. And as a result of doing that particular transition from being a theater freelancer to then having a full-time job, a lot of folks that I know were interested in that and they wanted help doing the same. And so I helped them because I knew how to do it and had been helping people for free for many, many years. And as a theater person who needed to do other things to do my favorite activity, eating, I worked a lot of places. And so I did count one day and I've worked over 40 jobs in my over 40 years. And I've worked across industries. I've worked in healthcare, insurance, architectural lighting, theater, theme parks, higher education. I've been a substitute teacher, you know, all sorts of things. I'm very bad with toilets. I always <laughs> like to let people know that. That is outside my area of expertise. But most other things I, I'm fairly good at. And so because I've worked across so many industries, I can really see the patterns of how people work and how they approach work and how they think about work. And that has served me very, very well in my life. And I also think that theater people generally are good at distillation of what is in front of them and what does it mean and how to extrapolate you know, the difference between theater history and us doing this play now and all that kind of stuff, which just translates well into work, I think. And so I had started when the pandemic first happened, helping people pivot out of their industries that had been basically decimated by the pandemic. They could no longer do at all what it was that they did. And I did all of that for free. I myself was laid off from my university job that I had worked very hard to get into higher ed, only to discover that that field had also been decimated, in my opinion, by late stage capitalism. And so doing the work for free, doing the work for free, doing the work for free for over 10 years. And then when the great resignation started, someone asked me if I would help them change jobs. And they had not gotten laid off, but they felt really abused by their workplace. And so I worked with them and they paid me and they got a great job and they got a huge raise. And so they told other people. And then so then other people wanted to pay me to do the same thing. Now, I had long wanted my own business. And here people were trying to pay me to do this thing. And you and I already talked about this, which was, should I do this thing? I don't know. Because I didn't love it, right? And so <laughs> there comes the rub. I don't like work. I don't like workplaces. I don't like that this is my specialty, that I understand this on such a deep level. But in fact, I do. And I'm very good at it. And I like people and I like helping them. And I like aspects of the work. And people are in desperate need of the assistance. And so I really had to wrap my head around, why do I want to do this? And it really came back to the fact that I had this internalized idea that I had to love it, you know, in this really deep, intense sort of way, which I don't because I hate the fact that we all have to work and I hate how we're treated and I hate 
so much of the systems around work and capitalism. But it is what I'm good at, and it is a service that I think is necessary to help people, and so I do it. And as a result of all of this, my feelings about work and doing what you love have maybe even intensified from what they were previously because I have this relationship myself. But then I work with all these folks. And you had mentioned this in the beginning about what is happening with these people, right? And so for the most part, nothing is absolute, but for the most part, I work with people who are in what I call meaningful work fields. They were meaning makers who were drawn to something very specifically, most likely because of some events that happened in their life that led them down a certain path. They're teachers, they're nurses, professors, they work in higher education staff, they work in ESL social workers, therapists, folks like that. And they are exhausted. And they're very, very confused about what to do. They can see that though they are excellent at the work, it doesn't let them live the kind of life that they desire. They don't get paid very well. They don't get any vacation. They don't get weekends. They work 100 hours a week, you know, just till 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day. They don't get respected. They're treated very badly. And oftentimes they're treated very badly, not just by the people that they help, but also by the people that they work for and with. And so there's a lot of toxicity, a lot of abuse, a lot of trauma, I would say. I often recommend folks to have therapists also when they work with me because that is not what I do. And they need that kind of support at the same time. And so people are really, really broken by this idea that they have to love their jobs. They're supposed to love their jobs. And if they do love their job, that work, then they're winning and they should be thankful. When at the same time, nothing about their life is good. Everything feels awful, but they're supposed to like that and they don't. So what does that say about them? What does it mean about them? Who are they really? And so all these really complex issues all tied up in to the work. There's such a disconnect when, you know, like I think about how we get kind of conditioned such an early age. And I know there's pushback against that now, but like that, what do you mm-hmm. want to be when you grow up? And then like when you meet people, like what do you do? So we automatically have this sense that what we do is part of who we are, if not the entirety of who we are, like work is your value. And that's created, right, by this system that we're in. And it seems like kind of innocuous, okay, like work is part of your identity, but like work is who you are, your value is in work. And that idea, and I touched on it in my last podcast episode, that idea that our value is in our work. So if you're not working, if you're not working hard, then somehow you're deficient and you are less than. And I see, and I imagine you see a lot of this guilt in not working hard enough or not appreciating having work and wanting to leave something that's so purpose-driven or this idea that I don't love what I do, so I should get a different job. Like this is an okay job, but my dream is to do something that I'm passionate about. Hmm. So that disconnect that happens And one of the things that you and I have talked about, and part of what I wanted to look at with you is 
there's the real right now impact of shifting your identity and understanding your value differently and all of those things. But there's also a reason why we're pressured to love our job. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you found as you've dug into this. And I know you love doing all the research and looking into all these things and you see the patterns, you want to understand the patterns. And this has come up in our conversation. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about it. Absolutely. And I think that there's sort of two historical points that I want to bring up that relate to what you previously mentioned. One is, of course, the question you just asked me, which is where did this come from? Where did this, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life come from? And it really came from the neoliberalism movement and the change worldwide to take worker power away and to abolish unions and this move away from factory jobs where those factories have moved to places where people are horribly exploited, right? And their governments are comfortable with that level of exploitation so they can get that level of funding. And then in these other countries, people have primarily moved into service work or knowledge work. And the idea behind service work is that you care so much that that is your identity, being a caring, loving person. And so why would one get paid to care? Because that's what you just do, right? And then the knowledge workers, it's all about being creative and having these talents. And then you get to do what you love too. And then you also do not get paid, right? And so you couldn't say, or it was far less believable to say, gosh, isn't it so wonderful to work in this factory and pull this lever every 45 seconds or whatever it is. But with these new jobs that were created, it ties into people's identity, right? So the idea of love and care and love and creativity tied to identity allows capitalism to extract more from you. A new way to motivate you to go beyond what your actual capacity is. And instead of, you know, becoming frustrated and advocating for better benefits and an appropriate time, it's like, well, you know, will you, if you love this enough, and that I would imagine this also relates in some ways to like, what is invisible labor? You know, a lot of times it's women's work, you know, the care work has been made invisible because, well, you know, it's something you should love. Now, I would say I love my kids and I, I love being their mother. Do I love parenting all the time and all of the things that go into parenting? Absolutely not. <laughs> that is work, too, and it's definitely not paid. But that was also purposefully engineered, right? When capitalism started to take hold, and the idea of labor and bodies and more bodies became very important. They needed more bodies. Who creates the bodies? It's us. We make the babies. And so the move to domestication of women very much is tied to capitalism. And I have eight books on the way on that <laughs> <course> subject, <laughs> but only because it really hit me this week in preparation for this conversation with you, that that was a really important part of what has happened. And it's also, I think, a really important part of why we are having this conversation because I do have clients who identify as men, absolutely. But the folks who are really feeling this disconnect right now are folks who identify as women. 
because of feeling like they are a failure in every part of their lives. And so the thing that you mentioned about this, like working too hard, working all these hours, that is also very much connected to this idea of of extraction. Because in reality, with all of the advancements in technology and everything, we have never been more productive. Society is insanely productive. We get so much work done. But if you ask the average person, you know, do you get enough work done in a day? Oh, no, they would never say that. They feel like they get nothing done because they've been told they get nothing done. When in reality, when we look at the data, people are getting so much work done. But what has happened in capitalism is all of that productivity benefits the capitalists and the workers don't make any money. I also think that there's been a really big shift in how people think about their work. So people who are care or creative workers don't identify themselves as labor. They feel like they're different, Mm. which is a huge part of why the whole thing works the way it does. You and I have talked about this in other conversations, but about it being systemic, right? And so people think it's an individual problem. When I talk to teachers or professors or nurses, they think something's wrong with them that this isn't working. And I always have to say, you know, you're the fourth professor I talked to today, you know, (laughs) or I've got 10 teacher (laughs) clients right now. You are not the only person who feels this way. It's not just you. It's a systemic issue. Yeah, that comes up a lot with the people that I work with as well. It's like this idea that this is me. This is a me problem, something I need to fix, something that's wrong with me. And it's like, no, actually, this is this is pretty normal when we're functioning in this society and the spaces that we're functioning and trying to figure things out. And it comes up with a lot of entrepreneurs too. They're like, I left my corporate job to create something different, to create something that I love. You know, I got sold on this idea that like, well, you should love your job. And so I want to create a job that I love, that I feel passionate about and purposeful in. And there's this idea that we're sold that if you're doing what you love, it'll somehow be easy or fun. And it's like, no, it's it's still hard work. You're still putting energy into what you're doing. It's not like suddenly you're getting returned energy to the level that we need to have that returned whether it is actual energy or whether it is monetary energy. And so we're sold on this idea and people come and they're like, I must be doing something wrong. Like the people that I hired to tell me how to do this or make it sound like it should be easy and it's not working for me. And there's a lot of stuff in there too. But in this idea that when we leave a space, if we haven't unpacked the reason the dynamics, the patterns that were not healthy for us in that space, we're naturally going to carry those in because they're assumed, they're internalized, they're part of the way we think we're supposed to do stuff. And it's one of the reasons I'm always asking, what's enough? Are you defining enough? Or are you just functioning off of the sense that it's not enough? Because in which case, it will be a black hole of enough. You will never put enough in. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about like, what are the roots of this? Like, what is the background of this? Because I want people to understand that it's not just them and it's not just us saying it's not just them. There's a reason why it's like this. No. And I think that what does 
all of this do to you? And I do want to come back to the patterns of the work. I want to come back to that because that's so good. But what happens when you're exhausted? Well, you order out. What happens when you have a bad day at work? You do some retail therapy, right? So people are stuck in these cycles of doing too much and not having any space so that they then have to purchase their way out of how they feel, right? And so I feel like the whole structure is set up to keep capitalism functioning because eventually, how many sweaters do you need, (laughs) right? How many pairs of sneakers do you need? You don't really need that many, but if you get that dopamine hit. Go buy your Starbucks. Exactly, because you don't have time to make coffee in the morning. I've had many, a many a friend or employee or colleague who have used retail therapy, get yelled at so many times in a day, buy yourself a new purse. You know, a lot of people do it. And I will say it's an understandable thing to do when you're trying to soothe what is really like the hurt that you're experiencing. Just to throw that out there. But we also want to be like, there's a reason why this is a cycle. Yeah. And there's a reason why it's systemic, right? They want you to be sad so that you go and soothe, right? Then what happens? Well, then you end up with too much credit card debt. And then you got to keep working this terrible job because you don't have any flexibility, right? And so it's all about the fact that you just don't have enough space. You don't have enough space to live a life that makes sense. So you end up spending too much. Then you don't have enough space to be able to step back. One of the things I think is really sad is the number of times that people come to me When they're at medical leave, things have gone so terribly that they have had to leave work under doctor advisement because of how awful things have gotten. And I just wish that we didn't have to get to that point. And a lot of it is tied up into this idea you brought up earlier about we have these patterns in how we approach work. And if you don't unpack those patterns, you will have them everywhere and everyone has them. So you have them whether you're doing purpose-driven work that is meaningful. You have them if you don't do purpose-driven work and you're plagued by the idea that you should be. You have them if you try to start your own business and you have them if you are successfully running a business and you have these other employees, which is just these expected behaviors around loving your job. It almost all comes back to this. So If you have a job and you don't love it, you feel like something's wrong with you because you're supposed to love it. If you started your own business and you don't love it, you think something's wrong with you because you don't love it. Or if you do love it and it's still really hard, that feels wrong. And what I think makes all of this so insidious is that not only are you experiencing all these things yourself, but the way the system is structured is we then place those ideas on other people. And all these other different ways. And so we expect people to love their work. So we expect them to love it in their cover letters. We expect them to love it in the short questions they answer with their application. We expect them to love it in the interview. And then we expect them to love it throughout the work. Of course, you're going to stay late. Of course, you're going to answer the phone at 11 p.m. You're not going to turn your phone off on your vacation day. You're not going to take that sick day. You're going to expect your employees to do the same. You're going to, I don't know, scoff at people when they need time off for a great aunt passing away. Great aunt, you know? You're going to label it quiet quitting if you don't do those things because clearly you must not love your job enough to 
keep working it. So we're going to call it quiet quitting instead of, hey, there might actually be an issue and you're setting boundaries. So I want to make sure we hit on what do we do about this? And you know what screams to me across the board with all of this is boundaries. And you have a really helpful way of helping people step out of the thinking about stuff so that they can feel like setting boundaries is accessible <laughs> to them. So mostly what I talk to people about is what if you thought about this as commerce and not capitalism? So you have something that you are offering someone to fulfill some need they had, and that's where the relationship ends, right? It doesn't mean that we're not pleasant. Of course we're pleasant, but we're not extractive, exploitative, or abusive. And so when I'm working with people who are transitioning and they're coming from, oftentimes they're either coming from meaningful work or they're coming from I would say, you know, stable work where they took this job so they would have a ton of money and they would have a great 401k and all that kind of stuff, but it's destroyed them. Eating them alive. Eating them alive. Excellent. Putting food on the table, but it's eating their insides. Yeah, they have. That's kind of gross. Sorry. (laughs) No, no. I mean, I think it's fair and they don't see their families and they don't go on vacation and they're exhausted. Maybe their doctor has told them there's something that's happening to them physically as a result of the stress, those types of things. And so I approach all of these people the same exact way, which is, what are you good at? What are you bad at? And how do you like to work? And what would you like your life to look like? So if you want a flexible schedule, great. There are certain types of work that are great for that and some that aren't. If you want a set schedule, great. There's certain types of work that are good for that and some that are not. It isn't about your identity being tied to a type of work, being tied to a group of people that you serve. It's the idea that everyone has skills and talents that can be applied across a multitude of industries and a multitude of different types of roles. And everyone has a way they'd like their life to be. And there are people that love to pick up the phone and talk to someone they don't know. It brings them energy and joy. And there are other people that will puke in the trash can if you ask them to do that. And so there is work, multiple types of work that align to every type of person. And too often, even people who have done a little bit of work on this subject think, okay, I was a teacher, so I got to go in L&D, which is learning and development in case anyone listening doesn't know. No, I say that's not necessarily it. Maybe it is, but we can explore other options based on how you like to work and what you like to do. But if we separate the identity, the past work, and we just think about who you actually are and how you like to operate, we can find a better fit for you. Then, of course, what we have to deal with is I would say there's usually some shame that people have that they're leaving this thing that was such a big deal. And their shame, if they were a teacher or something meaningful work-wise, where they get, thank you for your service all the time. But there's also shame if they're leaving some, you know, $300,000 a year job and going to something a little bit more relaxed. There's shame there, like they couldn't cut it, right? So a lot of that comes up for folks. And then also the idea that are they even very good at anything? You know, a lot of times people come from industries where they've been, I, I really think they've been abused and traumatized. And so they no longer have a sense of their own worth. They don't remember even what they're good at. And so a lot of the work that I do is just asking them, 
tell me about a project you managed. They tell me about it. And at the end, that's so cool. Wow. That's really interesting and exciting. And they go, I guess it was, wasn't it? Yes. You know? Yeah. And so all of that helps bring people back out of it. And then what I also attempt to do while I'm working with folks is to talk about the biases that they're going to experience in the process of getting new work and then talk about how they might have perpetuated them in their own life and practice. One of the things I talk about a lot is nonprofits because I work with a lot of nonprofit folks. Nonprofits are into their cover letters. And I always say that a nonprofit cover letter, they want to see blood. That's their goal. Like they want to see that you really put some things into this. And so I always ask folks, why do you think that? Why, why, why did you expect that from your own cover letters when people are giving them to you? What does that mean now for you when you're submitting these cover letters, these people? How can we pull that kind of stuff out of the equation and really just think about, I have a job. These are the duties. This person can do them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a key piece of unlearning is recognizing how you've internalized that learning because you can't just go, oh, it's this, it's this, it's that, it's them, it's whatever, because we don't function outside of a social context. So we internalize those social norms. And so only by acknowledging the ways those internalizations are being perpetuated in our own patterns, can we start to interrupt them and do something different. And I love what you're saying about that, separating the essentially like we function in a capitalist society, our economy is that, and we're not going to change that by ourselves. But if we can recognize separating capital from our worth, you know, our ability to make money, the money that we have separated from who we are and our value and actually look at, well, what are our true values? And I see this like with entrepreneurs that I work with, like, what are your values? And how are you articulating those chosen values, not just the ones that you've internalized, but like the chosen values in the way that you show up for your employees, for your clients, and making sure that we recognize that work is still work, wherever it is, that we're not making it invisible by the expectations that we have around that. Mm -hmm. I know this is like a huge topic. I love how you engage this with people, especially, you know, the people who are looking to pivot and to be able to help them step into a different way of thinking about things while being able to take care of themselves on all the levels of self-identity and making the money that they need to make to be okay. How can people find you? How can they work with you if they're looking for this kind of support? Well, if you go to yournotablelife.com, that's my website. And I have one-on-one group coaching options available. And ultimately, the thing I think it's most important about wanting to work with me is I am not your person if you're looking for your dream job. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't pick up on that. Yeah, there are so many people out there that do that. You are going to find that person if that's what you need. But if you are ready to just have enough money to do the things that you would like to do with having a life 
then I'm your person. <laughs> so I would love to talk to anybody who's interested in this kind of work and separating your identity from what it is that you do and living the kind of life that you want to live, which most of the time, and this really comes back, I think, to some of the first stuff that you talked about, which is that most of the time people just, their lives are full of stuff they don't even know if they want, you know, activities and people and events. And work is one of those many things that people are squashing into their lives because they have some idea about what it's supposed to be like. And so many times we're talking about all of that because work is such a big part of your life. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I like to wrap up with a question, which is, what does it mean to be unlimited to you? So this is something my husband says all the time that I really like. And he always says, it is the freedom of choice. And I really like that. And I feel like being unlimited is having that freedom to choose for yourself. Love it. And if you want to have that unlimited feeling, what song do you listen to? Okay, so I'm going to go with for this one. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, Pink has a new album, so I have to listen to that to see. But since I haven't listened to it yet, it's not out for another couple of days. We are going to go with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis can't hold that. Okay. That will be added to the Unlimited playlist, <laughs> which everybody should check out because it's fabulous. I can't wait. And thank you so much, Kristen, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate you being here. If you got something out of today's episode, please share it. Leave me a review, take a screenshot, and post it on social with a shout out to me. Send it to a friend or, you know, all of the above. Want to hang out more? Join me on Instagram. Or better yet, get on my mailing list to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And remember, your possibilities are as unlimited as you are. Allow yourself to shine, my friend. The world needs your light. See you next time.